Hey, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. As you're turning over there or turning on there, whatever your device you're using, uh, how many teachers do we have in the audience this morning? Teachers, retired teachers? We have several. I knew we, we would. Okay, let me ask a question to our teachers. How many of you, on the first day of school, every year that you've taught, when you get the initial roll sheet and you have to call these names out, how many of you have had trouble pronouncing names? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Because if you would have said no, then I, you would have ruined my opening point. But I'm glad you said yes. I, I used to substitute some when I was in Mount Pleasant working as youth minister. You know, substituting was a way to connect with kids in their own environment. But it got to the point where when I would get the roll sheet, you know, usually it was high school, so you have six or seven different classes during the day. Uh, I would get the roll sheet, and I would just apologize in advance. Hey, I'm probably going to butcher your name, so don't gripe at me about it, and don't get embarrassed about it. It's just going to happen. All right? And I never, because you're substituting, you, you don't really see these kids all the time. But if you're a teacher, you may have trouble pronouncing names at the beginning of the semester, the beginning of the school year. But as the year goes on, uh, you probably get that name down, I'm assuming. And most of the time, you don't learn the name just because you've practiced pronouncing it. You learn the name because you learn about that person. You learn their sense of humor, their personality, their learning style, their strengths and their weaknesses. One teacher told me you learn what they're doing even behind your back because you know them pretty well. So it goes from just a name that maybe is difficult to pronounce to a name that you know because you know a story behind the name. In Romans chapter 16, we're about to read a bunch of names, and I may have to ask you to help me with some of these names. And for the most part, we don't really read passages like this very often, we don't really preach on passages like this, but I think, uh, I think Paul's doing something here. And I want to read Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, and on it we're going to have a bunch of names, and I may butcher a few of those names, so I apologize in advance if I do, but hopefully they won't be offended. Let's start in Romans 16 verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Centria, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints, and help her in whatever she may require from you. For she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus, and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was, my, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Verse 7, may need help with this one. Greet, how would you pronounce that? Andronicus. Now, pay attention to what's your, what's your favorite name on the list. Think of that as we go through this. Andronicus and Junia, my relatives, who were in prison with me. And they are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet, what's this one? And Platus. Okay, that's good. I, I, less people on that one try to pronounce that name. My beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and greet my beloved Statius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my relative Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. That'd be an unfortunate name nowadays. (laughs) 
Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa, probably twins. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. I'll go ahead and tell you, that's my favorite name on the list. Greet Rufus. Chosen the Lord and greet his mother, a mother to me also. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Several of those names in verse 14 and 15 stem from slave names. So there's a really good chance, you know, the Roman Empire being one-third slaves, it wasn't based on race, like maybe our American history was slavery. So slavery was very common in the Roman world at that time. So there would have been slaves and maybe those who had been freed or emancipated who would have been a part of these churches, and Paul is greeting them as well. And then he ends it in verse 16, he ends this section with, greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, Last week we talked about the Bible and the importance of being in a Bible community. And as a part of being in a Bible community, we share insights with each other. And somebody at some point decided that verse 16 no longer applies to us. Because we don't walk around greeting each other with a holy kiss. I almost said, why don't you turn to the person to your right and to your left and let's practice this. But nobody would do it. We don't greet each other with a holy kiss anymore. But we do greet each other. We shake hands, we say, hey, how's it going? And maybe the conversations lead beyond that. But what's the point of such a list? Why are we reading this? Why does Paul include this? You know, normally he will say, greet so-and-so or so-and-so, but it's it's usually not this long, right? It's usually just a few names. So what is Paul doing? Is he just saying, hey, I know a lot of people, so tell them I said hi? Hi. Now, I think what Paul's doing is he has a strategy behind this list of greetings. It's more than just a name. There's stories behind these names. So a little background on the book of Romans will help us understand why chapter 16 is the way that it is. Uh, The book of Romans is Paul's longest letter. It's very long and it's very complex. Has anybody ever read through all of Romans? Has anybody ever read through all of Romans and thought, I knew exactly what everything meant? It's a difficult letter, it's complex, and it, and it just ends with a list of names. Paul's longest letter, and he's writing to the church in Rome, Christians in Rome, which Rome would have been the mega power of the world, that's where the Roman emperor lived. There was about a million people that lived in Rome, and it was constantly growing. So Paul and the other apostles, they believed strongly that the church of Christ could exist in a city like that. In fact, Rome needed a church. And, And Rome's church, like other churches, they had their problems, but a city like Rome needed a church. So Paul is addressing the church in Rome. The Roman emperor Claudius, at one point he decided to expel all the Jews. He kicked them out of Rome. And we get a glimpse of that in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. Priscilla and Aquila were part of the crew that had to leave Rome. So when all the Jews leave Rome, what does that leave? Gentiles. So those who were Christians in Rome, the church became purely a Gentile church. Well, later on, Claudius dies, and then Nero becomes the Roman emperor, and he lets all the Jews back in. So all of a sudden you have this church that's mainly just a Gentile-based church, 
And now all these Jews have come back in, and they're trying to mix and match and have church together, but it's difficult because they've gotten used to just having their style of worship. You know, the Jews are very different, had a very different background. And now all of a sudden, these two groups are mixing together for church. And Paul is trying to unite them. And it's not just Jews and Gentiles, it's slaves and masters and freed people and women and children. Just like all churches, Paul is trying to unite those who are part of the body. So you might look at Romans 16 and think, well, maybe it's a a weird ending. But I don't think it's a weird ending. I think there's a strategy behind what Paul is doing. In fact, I think Paul has been laying the groundwork for these greetings. If you read through Romans, Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about how you should treat each other. How you should love each other, forgive each other, not seek revenge, offer hospitality, live at peace with everyone. In Romans chapter 14 and 15, he writes about those who are on the journey but are just at different places. And if you have a stronger faith than someone else, you should still accept the person with weaker faith. So he's laying the groundwork and he's setting the scene for this list of greetings. So I think the strategy behind the list of greetings here. There's a unifying purpose, that he's trying to bring people together into relationships. The very first Sunday in January, I told you uh, this sermon series that we're doing, a question is kind of working itself out in the background, and that question is, what does it look like to be a functioning member of the body of Christ? Remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that first Sunday, and Paul uses the example of a body, and some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the eyes, some are the ears, and you can imagine the different parts of the body and how, as members of that body, you know, we contribute our part. So what does it look like to be a functioning member of the body of Christ here at Pine Tree? And we've told you each Sunday that we have met with the vision team and the staff and the elders, and we have these five facets that we want to ask you to commit to in the year 2018. Whether you've been a member for a long time or you're a new member, what does it look like to be a functioning member? And we ask you to commit to worship, to commit to Bible community, to commit to a connect group, to offer one area of service and discipleship. Who are you discipling? So those are the five areas. And this morning we're looking at connect group. Some of you are in a connect group, some of you have been in one in the past, some of you maybe you're not in one right now. When Jessica and I decided to come here to Pine Tree back in June of 2017, we had done a lot of research. We knew several people individually at this church, but if you're going to make a big decision like that, you want to know what you're getting into. And one of the things that attracted us to this church was this connect group ministry. And the reason is because of everything I'm about to share here in just a moment, but I believe that God is working through it. I believe that God has been working through the elders and the church leaders for many years now, going all the way back to whenever they made the decision that we're going to open up a small group ministry. And I want to compliment you. If, if anybody has been a part of connect groups or maybe back in the day when you called it small groups and you feel discouraged or you feel worn out or burned out, at least hear this word of encouragement that as a new family here at this church, we're encouraged by connect groups. And we're impressed with the leaders and people that open up their homes and people that lead groups and lead discussions. We think there's a good thing going on here. 
You know, a lot of churches call connect groups small groups or life groups or growth groups, and there's different names we could call it. But we call it connect groups because connect groups symbolizes what we're trying to accomplish. We want to connect you to other people, and we want to connect everyone to God. So we're connecting you to the larger body, and we're connecting you to God, hopefully. So let's talk about this connect to people. This is about relationships. There's this Greek word that's used a lot in Acts chapters 2 and 4 when that first church was formed, and it's the word koinonia. It means fellowship. So when the church was initially formed in the book of Acts, they would get together in each other's houses. They would meet in the temple courts, so they'd have their large group, but then they would meet in smaller groups and houses. I've heard Rick Warren say this several times. He said churches should always be getting bigger and smaller. Bigger and smaller. You should always grow if you're reaching out. And so your Sunday assembly should be growing, but you should get smaller as you grow as a body. Your small groups should increase. So in the early church, that's what happened. The temple courts were filling up, and God was adding to their number daily in Acts 2 and 4, but... They would go into each other's homes and they would continue to worship and continue to study the apostles' teachings and koinonia. They would fellowship. They would build relationships with each other. They practiced one-anothering. You know what that is? Jesus says, love one another over and over. And so at some point we have to kind of put that into practice. How do we one another? How do we fellowship and build relationships amongst each other? People want to belong. People long to belong. It's true. No matter who you are or what culture you live in, what your background is, everybody wants to be a part of something. want to feel accepted. Part of a group. If someone doesn't find that acceptance in that social life in a church setting, they may find it in a bar. Maybe that's the place they go to to meet people and have a social network. Or maybe... It's a sports team or something that's sports affiliated or maybe it's something with music or some common interest like theater. Whatever it may be, people, human beings will find a way to connect because we're wired that way. God created us to desire relationships and friendships. We're not supposed to be alone, right? So God created us that way and one of the opportunities we have as a church is to reclaim that for Christ, To invite people not only to be a part of Christ and a part of this church, but to be a part of a connect group. To be a part of a group of people that are connected to each other, where they're accepted and where they belong. So, a couple years ago when I was finishing up my grad work, I took a class called Small Group Ministries. Part of this class, it was very academic-based, so there was a lot of book reading and writing and things like that, writing research papers. But I got the opportunity to do some field research. So all my research was just Texas-based churches, so I'll tell you that from the beginning. So it was limited in its knowledge, but I interviewed several different churches. And within each church, I would interview a, a member who is a part of a small group, I would interview a small group leader, probably a preacher or a minister, and an elder. So at least four people from each church that I interviewed. And they didn't know who was being interviewed, so they didn't get together and collaborate their answers. And after all these interviews were done, I felt like a journalist going through all this. 
I was compiling it all together, and I was looking, okay, where's something that's common? Where's something that was said over and over? And there wasn't a lot of consistency within the answers. The one thing that was consistent is that most preachers put a very positive spin on it, and then the members were very honest about what was really going on. So I was like, okay, I'm going to talk to the members before I talk to the preachers, because they give me reality. Preachers just like to do that, I guess. So that was one thing, but another thing that every single person that I interviewed, whether it was a member, a small group leader, a preacher, an elder, no matter what church it was at, every single person said the greatest benefit from being a part of a small group ministry was relationships. No matter what church they're from, no matter what their role was, no matter how frustrated they might be with their particular small group, yeah, the best benefit is these relationships. And they all mention, you know, I've known people for years, and we have a quick interaction after Bible class or uh, after worship in the foyer. And we say, hi, how's it going? Or maybe have a short conversation. But once you get into a smaller setting, maybe into someone's home, you begin to take that relationship to another level. And they said, that is one huge benefit are the relationships that I now have, the friendships that I have, this practicing, this one-anothering, this koinonia. So some of you may be thinking, okay, all of that sounds great, but I have tried it and it's failed. I realize that, that there are some of you in the audience right now who maybe, whether it's this church or another church you've been a part of, that you've, you've tried out the small group ministries and you felt like it just doesn't work for me. Maybe you feel like you didn't connect with someone or you tried and it's just not clicking. And maybe that means that you need to be challenged today to invest more. You know, maybe, maybe it's on you a little bit to try to actually get to know people and to let that guard down a little bit. Maybe your group needs to mix it up and meet at different times or meet at different places or have share a meal if you're not sharing a meal. Go on a short mission trip together. You know, do something to deepen those relationships. And for some of you, you may just wait till the next time we shuffle it up and you'll get connected with a group that maybe you click with, and maybe you should spend some more time praying about it before you do. But I bring that up because I know it's true for some people, and I don't want this to be the whole preacher thing where I'm just being super positive about all of our ministries. I realize that nothing's perfect. But as I was dwelling on that and thinking about, okay, who maybe is struggling with this right now, I just want to encourage you that you're not wasting time. Don't become bitter or discouraged. You're not wasting time because when you're trying to make connections, when you're practicing this koinonia, this fellowship, God is using that. I've seen it time and time again in my own life and the lives of others. You may not get along on every, you may not have the same sense of humor or get along on everything, but as you make relationships and, and try to love people, God will do something with that. So don't be discouraged. Keep trying to get to know people. Keep trying this fellowship. And what we want is authenticity. Don't we all want that? I hope you do. You want to be real. You want to have a real relationship with people. We want our church to be authentic. So with our Connect Group ministry, we connect to people to build authenticity. You build relational capital with people. So you can have fun and enjoy life, but then you also can rely on each other during the messy times in life. Has anybody in here had to rely on someone that you have been connected with from the small group ministry during a tough time in life? 
Anybody ever been there? I can't tell you how often in my own life and in the lives of others that when something is, when life gets messy, when life gets difficult, when something's happened, that's where you turn to. You turn to people that God has placed in your life that you've built relationships with. In Acts chapter 16, I mean Romans chapter 16 verse 5 where Paul is given this list of greetings, you know, he's greeting Priscilla and Aquila, and he says in verse 5, greet also the church and their house. Greet the church in their house. The house was incredibly important. I put this word up there, this word oikos. This is the Greek word which represents a house, a household, or a family unit. And it's a very important word in the New Testament. It was important in Jesus' ministry. It was important in the early church. You know, they'd meet in the temple courts, and then they'd meet each other's oikos in their houses and the upper room early on in Acts and in Mary's house and Cornelius's house and Simon the Tanner's house. The house was an important part of the early church and of Jesus's ministry. Now, back in the summer, I used the word oikos as an example in one of my sermons, and uh, Joe David and Stephanie pointed out to me that it is also a brand of yogurt. So I might want to clarify when I say oikos that I'm referring to the New Testament Greek word and not the yogurt company. So now that's all you're going to think of. when I, So I'll just call it the house. But the house was important. In our 21st century world that we live in, homes are under attack. They've been destroyed. It's an area where Satan is trying to tear down. Now, we become very private We don't let people in. People don't know their neighbors anymore. We stay inside. We stay insulated. Whether or not you realize it, a connect group ministry, especially those who are meeting in houses, you have a unique opportunity in this culture that we live in. Now, I've already mentioned we need to reclaim this fellowship within the church for Christ, and we can also reclaim the home. Satan is trying to destroy the home, and when we invite each other into our homes and share that part of our lives together, not only does the relationship get deeper, but we model for others what a godly home looks like. And it's not to show off because none of us are perfect and no family is perfect, but that's a part of how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds as we share our lives together and we share our homes together. In chapter 16, a part of this list of greetings in verse 13. This is where that name Rufus is used, my favorite name on the list. It says, greet Rufus and greet also his mother. And Paul says, she has been a mother to me. Being a part of a church, I can say the same thing that Paul is saying here. That there have been men and women in my life who have been like spiritual parents or spiritual grandparents. And that's a part of what we hope to accomplish through connect groups and take that to a deeper level, is that not only are we getting to know people, but we're connecting with mentors and we're connecting with shepherds. Because there are people that God has placed in these intergenerational relationships that are there to help us grow in our faith, to mentor and to shepherd us And through all of Paul's connections, he found people like Rufus and her mother who has been a mother to him. So why do we want you to be a part of Connect Groups? We want you to connect to people, and we want you also to connect to God. 
You know, when your connect groups meet, unless it's a fellowship night, you spend time in discussion. You know, each week on a Thursday, I email out a discussion guide based on the sermon. So maybe that's what you're using. Maybe some groups are, are doing a different type of study. But I mean, part of the purpose of connect groups is to connect people to God. So you meet, you sit, you discuss, you pray. Right? And hopefully you're growing and you're connecting with God and you're helping others connect to God. I was a part of a men's small group a couple of years ago. We met on Wednesday evenings. And the group was focused mainly around prayer. Short devotional thought, and the rest of the time was on prayer. And we had a few guys in our group that were, had recently been converted to Christ. They were young Christians. And when the, our group was finished for the year, one of the guys said something that I haven't forgotten. He said, this group has been so beneficial to me because I learned how to pray. Before I met with this group, he said, I I didn't know how to pray. I knew I should pray, but I didn't know how to pray. But he said, listening to you guys pray and then praying myself with you, now I learn how to pray. So just a small group like that helps connect people into a deeper relationship with God. Connect groups help connect leaders. Look back over that list in Romans 16 and all those names that Paul uses, some of those are church leaders. Some of those are people who are leading churches, or leading in the church, or leading house groups. And some of those names are future leaders. As our church grows, there's always going to be a need for more connect groups. And for more connect groups, we need more leaders. So it's an opportunity to develop leaders. Some of you are in a connect group right now, and you're watching someone else lead. And maybe next year or in a few years from now, God is going to call you to lead a group. So you're learning what it looks like to lead as you're in a group right now. So we connect with people, we connect to God, we connect to leaders, and we also connect with our vision. You know, we have this vision, we have these seven commitments and this mission statement that we want to live by as a church. And I believe our Connect Group ministry fits all seven of our commitments. you know, our mission is to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus. And what an opportunity we have as we try to reach our one. That maybe a part of reaching and discipling someone is to invite them into your connect group so they can begin to form relationships with other people from our church. Because we have a mission. And connect groups help us live out our vision and live out our mission. So we believe that to be a functioning member of this church, we want to challenge you to be a part of a connect group if you're not. So stay committed if you are, and to see the benefits, and then dive deeper into that. A few years ago, I had a a guy who's been like a spiritual father to me. He's an elder at a church, and he was teaching a class, and he was doing some of his own research. And he sent me and several other people an email with a question. And he asked the question, what has been the biggest contributing factor to your faith development throughout your life? He's like, all of you are adults, and, and the ones that are on this email list, you're still faithfully a part of a church and following Christ. And he said, so what has, what's the biggest contributing factor to your faith development over the years? And he said, take some time to pray about that and to really think about that. So I did. 
I took a few days. I thought about that question. I prayed about it. And I emailed him back a few days later. And my answer was relationships. There's been a lot of things that have helped me grow in my faith through time. But relationships would be number one on that list. And I told him, I said, there's people like him, the guy I was emailing with, and others who have been like spiritual parents to me. Who have mentored and shepherded me along this journey. But I also have relationships with peers. With people who are you know, on this journey with me. People that in college and in camps and in other places in life, we have walked the journey together. We've struggled together. We've confessed sins together. But having those relationships have been crucial. And then also just relationships with people that I highly admire. That are living Christ-like lives and having a relationship with them has made an impact on my life. As I read through the New Testament, I read through Romans 16 or Acts in the early church, there's no denying the fact that forming relationships, practicing this one-anothering, is crucial to our faith. People may come to church and they may be drawn in for this reason or that reason and appreciate and enjoy certain worship services, but people stay because of relationships. Psalm 133 was our scripture reading this morning. I want to read it again as we get ready to conclude the sermon this morning. Psalm 133, it's just four, well, it's three verses. I'm reading from the NRSV, but I'll share what the NIV says as well. It says, "How, How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. If you have an NIV, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together, when they live together in unity. And he said, that's where God bestows his blessing. So as you reach out, as you form relationships, as you practice this fellowship, God is there giving his blessing. Some of you, and I know this is true, some of you feel distant, feel disconnected. So I'll be completely honest about this aspect. Because I've been there myself. In times where I feel disconnected or I feel distant, from others, especially others of faith, other believers. Most of the time, for myself or for others, when you're disconnected or distant, it's easy to blame. It's easy to say, well, I don't want to know those people because they're judgmental and they're hypocritical. But usually, what that says, it says more about you. Because there are people who are walking in the light. And if you dive into these relationships, but you're living in the darkness, that darkness will be exposed. So if you are distant or disconnected, it might be because you you don't want people to know who the real you is. So we wear these masks and we put up these walls and we try to distance ourselves. But God is calling us to lean in rather than to lean out. So if that's where you're at this morning, we're going to offer this invitation. And we have shepherds that will be around the room. One of the shepherds will be up here with me. If you need prayers for that, if you need to rethink 
your life or some things going on in your life and, and receive some prayers, then respond to the invitation. If you want to know Christ, respond to the invitation. But you can do that now. Let's stand and let's sing. Fountain.